words appear. The email addresses and groups mentioned on this program no longer exist. Blind Like Me does exist in its new incarnation on groups.io. To join, send a blank email to blindlikeme plus subscribe at groups.io. That's blindlikeme plus subscribe at groups.io. If you're on the list, he's certainly no stranger to you. His name is John Justice. How are you, sir? Just fine, thanks. And how are you? I'm fine. What is that beeping noise? What is that in the background there? I think my tape recorder might have been a little too close to, <laughs> or my um, phone was too close to something that was emitting oh, a signal. Okay. I, I just moved it. I thought that was maybe some... I have all these clocks that go off at the same time, and I thought that might be... Uh, something to do with that. Uh, let's see, you're in Pennsylvania. Where, where are you? What is in your... Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, which is about 17 miles north of Philadelphia. It's so, the Burbs. So you're, a, you're a suburb of Philadelphia. That's right. And uh, so you're under the influence of Philadelphia in that you watch Philadelphia TV and listen to Philadelphia radio and all that kind of thing, right? That's right, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we have cable here because of the local local Willow Grove Naval Air Station has a radar net, and if you try to use an open-air antenna, you get a lot of interference. So you have to have cable. Yeah, almost. I mean, you can get some channels, but even the ones you get are interfered with. If, some, if they turn the, the beam in your direction, it blanks you out. So yeah. it's better to use cable. Well, you probably want cable anyway, because you get music channels, you get all kind of things with cable that you wouldn't get with a with just an antenna, you know? Right. We had the cable version of the radio, but recently we learned out about something called XM radio, which is a satellite broadcast, and we've been using that ever since. It gives you a, a hundred channels of all kinds of radio programming, including old-time radio similar to what the ACB's treasure trove is like. Yeah. Along with a lot of other programming, comedy, news, financial reports, all kinds of stuff. You get 
you buy your receiver and then you go on a monthly um, ten dollars a month, and that's all you have to do. The antenna is about the size of a um, oh, let's say one of those small pocket tape recorders, and you can aim it in any given direction. They always tell you to point it south. Yeah. But bottom line is, it's really, really good. We run it through our stereo. And you have this in your home, not in, of course, you don't have a car, so you have this in your home. Actually, we do have a car. You do? We'll go there. Oh, yeah. Well, who I'll drive? tell you why in a minute. Well, tell me, <laughs> well, who drives it? We hire drivers. I'm a professional musician as, long, as well as a, a FedEx employee. Yeah. So well. I use instruments and things like that on the jobs I play. We found out a long time ago that the only way to reliably get anywhere was to use your own vehicle and hire somebody. <laughs> so we've been doing that for years. Yeah. Uh, this is to transport your things that you might use on your playing jobs to the to the actual to the job. Right, and yeah. now that I work in a club where I play a grand piano, I don't have as much equipment as I once did. Yeah, but I still have the foldable mic stand, my yeah. microphones. You know, you you know from your own experience, oh, you yeah. don't leave anything on the job that can walk uh, away. You won't have it if you do. Uh, yeah, you got it. So I bring. Everything I need, it takes me about five minutes to get my equipment set up and plugged in, and they have their own sound system, uh, one I recommended for them to have installed, and for once well, somebody listened, so we got a really nice system. You're a lucky man. Let's let's get back earlier than that in your life. Let's start with your with you as a, as a child. Where were you born? Where, where born did you grow in up? Philadelphia. Oh, oh really? Yes. So you're not, the, the, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree in this case, right? No. My folks bought a farm in South Jersey not long after I was born, and they moved Lock, Stock, and me down to the deep south of New Jersey, down in a called Cape May County. Mm-hmm. And that's at the very far south. Any further, and you'd have to swim, Phil. And, so, and that's where I grew up. I went to boarding schools like a lot of blind kids did in those days. I went to St. Joseph's to Maryland School for the Blind until I reached graduating age from the eighth grade, and then I was introduced into regular high school. So I went to Wildwood Catholic High School and graduated from there. The one and only blind student they've ever had before or since. Well, now, with this farm that your folks bought, was it a working farm? Uh, yes, they... it was a poultry farm. Oh, we were so chicken they... chuckers. <laughs> so they had lots of chickens. And what did you, as a young blind child, you're, you're totally blind, right? I, That's I, right, Phil. I forgot to, to mention that. I usually uh, kind of get that up front. And, and so what did you, as a, as, a, as a little blind kid, what did you learn to do? Could you go gather eggs? Could you, what could you do? Everything. You see, on a working farm like this one, there's no room for anybody to cruise because mm-hmm. there's so much work that has to be done. I was taught to look for the eggs when I was young. I was taught to clean the drop boards, which is the place where the chickens roost. Yeah. I was taught to repair the brooder stoves, which are little metal stoves with rails around them where the chickens gather when it's cold to stay warm. Uh-huh. 
and how to repair their water supplies and uh, and how to clean. I also help my mom uh, clean and pluck fresh chickens that were sold as, you know, chickens to people. Back in those days, we had a route, and we used to deliver eggs and chickens all over the area. Uh-huh. So I would help her. Um, I've had the misfortune of having to kill my share of chickens myself because everybody had to put a hand in. You know, there was just too much to be done, and an extra pair of hands was worth its weight in gold, you know. But they cut you no slack because you were totally blind. No, not at all. Which is the best thing they ever did for you, you know? I agree, Phil. When I was a little kid, I was sighted, but I was oh, born I didn't know with that. congenital glaucoma. Okay. How much sight did you... I didn't know that. How much sight did you have now when you were... When I was born, I had 100%. By the time I was three years old, I had none at all. None, period. No. Nope. My mother f- had put the farm in hock. I had nine operations in various hospitals, including Will's Eye in Philadelphia, to try to save my sight. By the time it was all over, after nine operations, the nerve damage was so severe that I had lost all of my vision, and my mom was up to her ears in red oh. ink, as you can imagine. Bless her heart. But it it all worked out, um, as as it always does, as it always does. So you really don't remember. But but you do have maybe a sense of colors that I I don't have because I was born totally blind. That's a funny thing. I have a sense of colors and shapes, like I can picture a map in my head, Mm -hmm. which is a tremendous advantage because... If I'm riding in a car, I have the map in my head, and I can tell my driver, okay, you turn left at XYZ Street, Mm -hmm. and there's a gas station on the corner, you know, that kind of thing. So I can also um, picture how streets intersect. And as far as colors, I can't remember what a color looked like, but I have some sort of innate sense of what color goes with what. At the age of three, I guess my mom was able to teach me that much at least. Yeah, so you, that's that's a little advantage that you would have that us, us who were who were, have never seen. Each. I don't know what red looks like. They, I know what they told me it looks like, but I don't. I, you know, me either. You know, that's I get a right. feeling deep yeah. down inside somewhere that blue is a cool color, and that red is warm, and that orange is a bright, happy color. But I don't know beyond that actually what the color looks like i have no concept in my mind at this stage of what it's like to see and yet i can still picture things in my mind shapes if did you read the story that i um posted about the lighthouse i did yeah that's um that has a lot of visual aspects to it when I write, sometimes that comes out, and I haven't been able to explain why, and neither have the psychologists who tested me to death when I was a kid. <laughs> now, but and you don't remember seeing. Period. I mean, no, that's, that's no, no, that's not in your mind. I okay. have one picture, Phil. One picture that I still remember. I'm a little kid. I'm sitting in our big old farmhouse kitchen, and I'm looking at a line drawing of a car. 
it is a new model, as I recall, something that they were just introducing back then called a fastback. Uh-huh. You know, a real slick design. And the DeSoto and the Hudson and a few of the other ones back from those days used that design. But in any case, I kept turning the page and losing the picture, and I would see these crossed lines and shapes which must have been writing. Must have been. Yeah, but that's all I remember. I used to, I remember getting very upset that my mom would have to stop her ironing and come over and find the page with the car on it for me again. But that's the only visual image I have left. Well, that's uh, that's kind of strange, but I'd say not abnormal. Most kids don't remember before they were three years old. I mean, that's that's awfully young to be remembering. So at, uh, at age six, we left the farm. No more gathering eggs, repairing chicken coops. Uh, it's time to go to the blind schools. This was a this was a dormitory school far from home, right? It was. It was in Maryland in a town called Overly. Uh-huh. It had once been a private college. But many years ago, long before I got there, they turned it into a school for the blind. It was a beautiful place, Phil, with big open grassland and four cottages at that time, A, B, C, and D. And the children, except in classrooms, were completely isolated, the male side, the female side, or boys and girls side, as they called it. But I had never been away from home, and I got to tell you, it was a rough go for the longest time because my mom used to, you know, have me take care of myself and everything, and here I am with a bunch of other kids, and I had never really had much exposure to what it was like living with other kids my own age. Because you didn't have any brothers or sisters, or what? I have a sister who is much younger by seven years. Okay. So she wasn't much influence. And then I have a half-sister, but my half-sister is 15 years my senior. So you had no kids around when you were... None at all. Well... No, my, the nearest neighbor was seven or eight miles away. And suddenly you were thrown in with all these strange kids. Some of them have the skills able to bathe themselves. Some of them couldn't. Some of yep. them couldn't eat. Some of them couldn't talk plain. Right? It was weird. Yeah. Uh, because... You know, I had always learned to be independent and talk and everything. And some of these kids, well, kids can be cruel. Sure so, they can. And um, the ones who were uh, less than capable, we, I, you know, um, me included, I'm afraid we, we gave them a hard time, some of them. But they learned, all of them, they had to. Because <laughs> Maryland School for the Blind did not have the biggest uh... faculty, you know, there were many times when there was one house father who was monitoring the whole cottage with, you know, a couple hundred kids. And that was it, uh, just the one guy. You know, we, we, this is, if, if you've listened to our show, you've heard this experience before. We all were fed uh, to the blind school at age six or seven, and it was very, for me, very traumatic. It took me years to get past. And I know that's what my poor, dear, sweet mother had to do. She had no choice but to send little Phil off to the blind school or to send little John off. They had no choice. There was no other way to educate you, but it certainly seemed like I was blind and being punished for it. 
You got it. And I remember riding up in the car, and I used to ask my mom, how many more miles to go? And I used to wish the trip would last forever. Yeah. Because I knew when I got there, she would leave me and, there you'd be. and take off, and I'd be all by myself. I mean, the kids were there, but it wasn't the same thing. No. And, and the, the of course, I didn't consider this until I got older, but think of the pain my poor mother went through leaving me because she knew I didn't want to be there. But she had no choice. That's what she had to do. Yes, exactly. Uh, we would not have learned even what we know now without that start, without learning Braille, without learning how to use a, a tailor mass slate or, you know, whatever. There was no real technology of a, that type yeah. in those days. So we used a slate and stylus and a brailler. Oh, my God, I used to have one of those old hall braille writers that I used to work on when I was a kid. One of those monsters that had to weigh 15 or 20 pounds in a wooden case. Do you remember those, Phil? I never saw one of those. Uh, we, uh, my brother had a braille writer. We, didn't, we had tablet and stylus when I was a kid. Slate and uh, stylus, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, slate and stylus, and that's that's the way that's the way we wrote braille. But I just rebelled. I just didn't learn anything. I just told him I'm not learning anything because I don't like you people, and so I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not I gonna... got myself into some mischief too. <laughs> I tell you what, John, let me let me take a little short break. We're about sure. 15 minutes into the program, and we've got you in, out, off the farm and in grammar school or in uh, early. Uh, they didn't call it kindergarten then. They were just in first grade. They just put you in first grade back then. Yeah, so, we had kindergarten. Garden, but oh, go you? ahead with your break All and right. I'll stand by for Let's you. take a break. Be right back. More of Blind Like Me. The American Foundation for the Blind has done some really neat things. And one of the things they participate in is to honor excellence in the narration of talking books. Can you imagine, as a blind person, a world without talking books and the service that they have provided to millions of people? The Talking Books program was established in 1933 at the American Federation for the Blind headquarters as a result of the invention of the long-playing phonograph record. But naturally, now it's administered by the Library of Congress, but still, AFB is the longest-running producer of talking books, having recorded more than 10,000 titles. The Alexander Scorby Narrator of the Year Awards were established by AFB in 1986 in memory of its most popular talking book narrator. I remember him because he read the Bible. The winners are determined by a panel of talking book readers from throughout the country who listen to titles from a variety of literary categories. The Scorby Awards celebrate the contribution of talking books to the cause of literacy. All of the award presenters are visually impaired, and they'll speak about the importance of reading in their own lives. But the highlight of the evening is when award recipients read from the works for which they were nominated. 
I read my first talking book in 1948, and I haven't stopped since. See you down at the library. Facts about blind folk. Information you'll probably never need. Titillating tidbits to make you think on the blind side. Here's Don Patterson. continue our little blind like me show we're visiting with john justice from uh, north just north of philadelphia what's the name of the town again willow grove willow grove pennsylvania we've got him in you know he's off to maryland the state of maryland at the at the school for the blind which was a beautiful place but uh, very daunting for a six-year-old boy to have to go to kindergarten they began teaching you braille right that's it they introduced us to braille and we had great big pages with maybe two or three lines on them and the Uh teacher had raised pictures that she had made herself using some sort of material that would dry into hard lines i was very fortunate with her you really were yeah i had a picture and it would say dog in braille and underneath was a raised image of a dog now for some of the kids it didn't make a lot of sense because they didn't have any ability to conceptualize an image like that. For me, it was like, hey, this feels like a dog, you know, with the ears standing up and the tail and, you know, and I knew what it was. And I was very lucky with that kindergarten teacher. She got me started, but I had a rough time in that school in a lot of ways. Uh, Well, tell us what ways you had about your rough time in that school. Well, because there wasn't a lot of supervision, kids got themselves into trouble. At one point, some older kids, remember, I was now, this, by this time I was in maybe second grade. Okay, so you were seven or eight. They ganged up on me, put me in a chest where they kept the outdoor bowling equipment. They had um, bowling pins and balls and everything, and they had an outdoor alley where the kids used to play. They put me in there and locked the, the chest on me. Uh, this was supposed to be some kind of a fun uh-huh. and game thing. Well, I happened to be blessed with very powerful legs, even then. I've always been a heavy kid, you know, chubby. Uh-huh. But my legs were my strongest thing. So I turned over in that chest and pushed up on the edge of that uh, chest uh, top with all my force and actually ripped the hinges right out of the wood. Ah. Got out of there, and so they probably they probably blamed you for tearing up the chest. Of course, not for long. When I explained to them what had happened, thank goodness somebody had some sense. But little things like that, they would do things like, for example, you'd get up out of bed, you'd come back, and you'd find that somebody had short sheeted your bed. Yeah. You know, you go to the bathroom, or you go in the shower, and you'd come out, and you'd find your towels were missing. Or, you know, little things like that. They were always getting on each other. And it was, well, it was kind of a jungle now now that I think about it many years later. And in the fifth grade, my mother pulled me out of there because um, I got into some mischief. Someone burned down the laundry 
shed. We had a big laundry Good shed heavens. where they had washers and dryers and those things called mangles. I remember, remember those? those. Yes, I do. They, they were used to iron sheets and things in volume. Someone burned it down, and they blamed me. I was never anywhere near that shed. But because I was a troublemaker and I was always in mischief of one sort or another, the man at the, um, the principal wouldn't believe me. So they pulled me out of the school and they took me to St. Joseph's School for the Blind in Jersey City. Now that was another world entirely. Well, wait, wait a minute. I don't want to get too far away from the fire. You maintain your innocence to this day. I do. Because you were innocent. Yes. See, that is so funny because let me just let me just uh, this, uh, let me just tell one little quick story. We were on a Boy Scout camp, high camp. We were on a Boy Scout camp. We were all in cabins. A couple of guys came by our cabin and said, "Hey, there's a boat down by the river. Let's go get in this boat and play around in the river." And I said, "Okay." And me and my bud, who was in the cabin, got up and went with these two guys who had instigated this. Well, the next day they blamed Phil Parr for this because he was always in a lot of trouble. They made they punished me, and I didn't start it. I participated, but it wasn't my idea. I, you know, I remember old Bob Young saying, "I know who this idea this was." Phil Pars, <laughs> and it, I maintain my innocence to this day. I did, I didn't, and I that, it, that hateful sob, uh, God rest his soul, uh, had no business doing that. He didn't know whose fault it was. He didn't question anybody. He didn't believe me. I was telling him the truth. Anyway, they, they, the laundry got burned down, and they blamed you. Yeah, it just so happened. And this is the only thing that saved me was that earlier that day, I was walking along the edge of a road, and in Maryland, because of the high rain content, content there are drainage ditches. Mm-hmm. Well, in those days, they didn't have railings, Phil. And I was walking along, and some of the older kids were there, and they were roughhousing, and I got pushed. Into the drainage ditch. Into the drainage ditch. Well, I hit my head and was knocked out cold. Well, a teacher came along, and they picked me up, and I was in the infirmary when the fire started. But this principal still didn't believe it. They didn't believe. They thought I had started it earlier because I was so fascinated by the machinery. I've always loved mechanical things. How do they work? What makes this go? And, and so you were always do? over there looking at these machines to try to figure out how they worked. Yeah. And they figured because of that that you were the cause of it. That's, you know, that is so typical. Yeah. That is so typical. Your parents weren't there. Nobody was there to defend you. You were on your own. But yeah. actually, I bet this turned out to be a blessing in disguise. It did. Now, St. Joe's is a city school, Phil. Uh-huh. St. Joe's is it's still there, even to this day. They deal with multiple handicapped children now. Uh-huh. But it's in the middle of the city. There's no grass except a little here and there. Their idea of having the kids play was to send them down to an enclosed yard with a ball on a concrete or a tarmac, you know, just a, a play yard. But there was no grass. Our playground was up on the fifth floor on the on the roof. Of course, it was secure. It had railings and fences all around. But we had slides and swings and everything up on this 
roof That's five wild. stories above the street. Yeah. But as a kid on a farm, oh, man, I hated it. But, and this is the good part, there were kids in my class. My biggest class was seven kids. So you got a lot of one-on-one in this You this, got it, uh, and school. that was the best thing that ever happened to me. They found out that I had skills in certain areas. They encouraged me. They were disciplinarians, the nuns. There's no question about it. They whip your you-know-what but good if you got into mischief. But, but yeah, they encouraged you in the directions in which you were skilled. Exactly. Uh. Reading, writing mathematics, all the things that I did well, my music, they encouraged me to play the piano. They gave me one-on-one lessons. They did everything that Marilyn couldn't or wouldn't do. So the bottom line is that from the fifth through the eighth grade, I got very good schooling. I also learned one-on-one from the nuns how to take care of myself, how to fix my clothing, how to polish my shoes, how to comb my hair, how to take a proper shower, which is something that (laughs) Marilyn never did much of. And the bottom line is, by the time I graduated from the eighth grade, I was a pretty independent blind kid. So you were a a good Braille reader? Are you still? I mean, is Braille still yeah, part of your? Yeah, I love Braille. Braille for me is my is my way of keeping records. When I write up stuff on a manual for a piece of technical equipment, I usually keep the notes in Braille because then you can turn to page 33 and look up how to do a certain function Uh or something like that. So even now, on top of my computer here, I've got a a notebook with JAWS commands and, and, you know, Procedures. Yeah, in in Braille, written in Braille. Yeah, and you can. It's a quick reference. I just. It's on five by eight, so I just grab it and pull it out and look at the index. Index and turn yeah. to that page, and I can remember how to do a particular JAWS function, which might not be something you use normally. You know. Yeah, which might be something that you that you'd want to know, but you wouldn't want to, that you didn't keep in your mind. You got it. And and as you folks who are younger than us realize, the older you get, the less you're able to keep in your mind. For sure. <laughs> well, so, good. And so you learn Braille. That was my problem. Is I never did. I never did get Braille real well. But I admire you folks who can. And you you read books and do you read magazines? Braille steel? Sure. Uh-huh. We get um, um, popular electronics in Braille. We get um, uh, the Braille Forum. In Braille. Which is the American Council for the yeah. Blinds book. That's in Braille. We get um, talking book topics, and I'm always bugging the library about new listings, you know, yeah. and stuff like that, things like that. And um, Linda and I keep our personal notebooks and things in Braille. We also have electronic versions that we carry with us. Yeah. But we keep the Braille master just in case because neither one of us has 100% faith in the electronics all the time. If the computer goes, you've got no phone book. So yeah. we keep it handy that way. I just put mine on two or three different computers, so surely they won't all, <laughs> they won't all go at once. Now, what age were you when they transferred you to this other this other school? Into uh, St. Joe's? Yeah, into St. Joe's. How old were you then? Let's see. One, two, six, seven, eight, nine... 
Okay, I must have been coming on to 10. And so you were in about the fourth grade, maybe, fifth grade? Yes, I'm moving up. into the fifth grade, right. And, and so this was a blessing in disguise. Classes were smaller. These uh, children that had been bugging you or bothering you since you were little were no longer there. Uh, you were the new kid. You were smart. They encouraged you. You liked this school. Yes, I did, although it was, again, I was far from home, yeah. and it was the discipline was very, very strict. They were St. Joseph's nuns, and they, you know, they were extremely rigid on what was and what was not permitted. Yeah. But by the same token, they were good teachers, and they took the time to work with each student, and that made a big difference for me. And they began encouraging your music then. Yes. Uh, of course, back then, uh, all we had was actual physical pianos. Uh, there weren't any keyboards, were there? Uh, yes. Well, yeah, there were organs. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, that's uh, They okay. were big household varieties, heavy wooden things. Some of them, the companies called Hammond and Lowry and uh, yeah. Thomas, made organs like this, but they were incredibly expensive. And they I loved them. When my mom would take me down to one of the marts, there was a store there that sold organs. All she had to do was park me in front of one of those and leave me because I wouldn't leave. I loved to play with those organs, and the one thing I wanted more than anything else was one of those electronic organs. You know, I do remember now that I had a tube-type organ at one time that actually had didn't have big tubes. It had miniature tubes in the back of it, uh, and that had to have been built in the you know late 50s, early 60s. I do remember that. Yeah. And uh, so, um, of course, I guess now you've got all kind of keyboards and things you, that... Uh, <laughs> Less now than I once did. At one yeah. point during the 80s and 90s, I played in clubs, and I played what's called a stack. That's several keyboards piled yeah. on top of one another. Yeah. I used to play bass pedals and everything. I worked a lot of solo jobs, and I sounded a lot like more than one musician because yeah. of all these instruments. But as time has changed, I've gone back to the more classical approach. I don't mean musically classical. I mean more basic approach. Uh -huh. And now I play the piano, a grand piano in nightclubs, and I enjoy it. I still have some electronics, including one of those computerized keyboards, which will give you accompaniment and everything. But on the job, I'm playing an acoustic piano and singing, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, now, let's, let's kind of move back here. You, you went to this, uh, where'd you go to high school? The same place? Uh, Wildwood Catholic High School. It's a regular school. I was the only blind student in Wildwood, New Jersey. The, and, and how this was, uh, Wildwood, New Jersey is a town not too far from your, your, your family or, or what? That's right. I used to take two school buses in every day. I'd take one and then we'd all change over and catch the second bus. So it took about, ooh, 25 minutes to get to school every day, 30 minutes maybe. But you were home on the weekends. I was home every night. You were yep. home every night at the farm. 
Yep. And you could gather eggs and do the things, and that made life became much better for little John then, didn't it? For sure. For sure, when you got to stay home. And you went through high school, you graduated. Uh, you, how did you, you do lessons there? Did the people read to you because they couldn't get Well, we had several things. Number one, the Commission for the Blind in New Jersey had as many of the books as they could produced in alternate medium, yeah. either Braille or on those old sound sheets. <laughs> Ebitone. Ebitone oh, sound sheets. Oh, yeah. Awful, but at least you could get much, most of what you wanted out of them. Yeah. And then when necessary, they would appoint me a reader. For example, when I needed to take a test, I would have a reader. Um, whoever, whatever teacher could spare the time. Yeah. My favorite was a lady named Mrs. Locke who was about ready to retire. She was a history teacher, but she read well and she was patient. And she was she was the one who did most of my reading for me. And so you had all sighted kids there except you. That's it. Okay. Did you did you participate in any extracurricular activities? I guess you played in the you were playing then. So did you play in the band in the high school band? Or? Uh, not in the band, but I played for assemblies, and I was in the chorus. Uh, every year they had a chorus, they had instruction and rehearsals. Sure. Everybody else had sheet music. I had to memorize. So for the first couple months, I would just listen and try to memorize all the parts that my particular section had to sing until I had them down by heart. Uh -huh. So that's how I did it. And the rest of them relied on the music. But when the teacher, Mr. Sabatini, made them put down their sheet music and you do it from they you know, were, by ear, uh, from rote, I was already there. They, <laughs> they, were, they were lost. Yep. Yeah, at first, sure. Now, did, but, this, did this school have a, a, a football or not? No. No, no football. They but, had... Um, Basketball was okay. one of the big things back then. Yeah. They had track, although the kids could not run at this school because it had a, it was a very small school. They used to take them to a local area where there was a track. But I never got involved in any of those things, obviously. I was in gym. Uh, everybody was required to take the physical, you know, fitness sure. training and everything. Yeah. But they took me out of that because I was um, playing with someone learning um, uh, judo moves. And accidentally, my teacher was a, a man who was a couple of years older than me, yeah. did a throw, and I missed the mat and put a bolt through my leg from one of those... Oh. Um, volleyball standard. Oh, my heavens. And there was blood everywhere, and the gym teacher, who was as tough as nails, almost fainted on the spot. <laughs> Yeah. All the blood. Uh, you know, so they, the last year I was in school, they took me out of gym and exempted me because they didn't want to take yeah. any more chances. It was a sheer accident. It, it wasn't anything anybody yeah. did. The fellow who was teaching me just 
threw me a little too far, and I missed the mat. That was all. You know, blind kids are going to get hurt, and there's no, no way to get around it. They're going to nope. run into things. They're going to fall off things, and you cannot stop that. It's part of being blind. You, you that learn, is another you know. call coming in, and I'm going to totally right, Okay. Well, it. I'll tell you what. Let's take a break, and you can you can uh, get rid of them, okay? Which, it's, it's they'll be gone in a moment anyway, all right, certainly. We'll, we'll take uh, just a short uh, little break and be back with more John Justice, certainly an interesting guest. Stay tuned. Back in just a minute with more Blind Like Me. a website our crack research team certifies screen reader friendly. Now with this week's blind site, here's Don Shaw. I tell you, Microsoft Office is really an outstanding program. It even seems to work really well with screen readers. The only problem is with Microsoft Office is that is one complicated program, at least for me. A lot of the Microsoft Office applications are just beyond me. So I and one that kind of likes to use uh, templates made up of one thing and another that I want to do with Office from time to time. Oh, I can do the basics with Microsoft Office, but when it gets into the really complicated type things, man, it sure is nice to have an already made up template. And if you were kind of thinking along the same lines, I got a website for, that you might want to visit today, and they do have a selection of Microsoft Office templates. I mean a huge selection of templates. Just about any kind of project you, sh you should ever want to do, there's a template for it right there. I'm going to give you the address for the Microsoft Office templates, but before I do, it might be time to break out those digital note takers or that Braille note. It is a long URL address. So here it comes. Go to www.office. Dot m i c r o s o f t dot com slash t e m p l a t e s slash d e f a u l t dot a s p x. If you have a project you want to work on and you need that office template, go and go and take a look at them. I'll give it a screen reader friendliness rating of a six. Until next time, I'm Don Shaw. Keep on web sighting. If you found a screen reader friendly website you'd like us to mention, send your email to blindlikeme, all one word, at txucom.net. And join us again next time for Blind Sites. Three, revisiting with John Justice. We've got him in high school playing uh, for assemblies and getting hurt in gym class. So sounds like you had a pretty normal high school. Did you have you had some free ed friends in high school, bud? Yeah, you... sure, a couple of them. Some of them stayed clear of me, especially the girls, because, well, Phil, you probably had the same problem as I did. Back in those days, this was in the 60s for me now. You're just a little bit older than yes, me. Yes, I am. Um, the... The mothers told some of the kids, the women, the girls in school, yeah. that 
they were to stay away from the blind boy because he might touch them in inappropriate areas. Yeah. One of them finally told me the truth. Now, these were Catholic girls, but yeah. they were a little yeah. <laughs> strange anyway sometimes because of their upbringing. They were extremely rigid, or there were the bad girls who went the opposite direction by a long chalk, something like what you did when you first went to school when you were a kid. Yeah. They were bad. I mean, they had a reputation yeah. for being bad, and they just didn't care. But for the most of, most part, and this was in the 60s, the girls were very, very straight-laced, very, very nice girl, go home first before you go to bed kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And um, this was the... The, some of the mothers told these girls to stay away from me because my hands might, you know, Groping. touch them or something. And as a result, I would hit the hallway, and at first, they would it would be like fire drill. They'd all be, you know, anywhere but in front of me. After a while, they got to know me better, and some of them at least treated me decent. Yeah. Quite a few of them, on the other hand, were never, ever got used to me being blind. And yeah. that was that was a bit of a problem. But I did go to proms eventually. I got dates. But proms were strange, Phil, because I had to have one of my parents drive me and my date yeah. to where to the prom because yeah. I couldn't drive myself. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, you, at least you got to go, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and and had my tux, and the girl was dressed real nice, and we had pictures and everything. And my folks brought the the our better car. Thank God they didn't pick her up in our four by or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got you in high school. You got you graduated from high school. Did you walk across stage to get your diploma? Yes. In, uh, yeah, actually, with us, it was um, we were all seated. And we'd come up the aisle and up two steps, and there was the principal to hand us okay. um, our diploma. I practiced it with the help of some of the instructors, and I knew where I was seated exactly, how many steps. And, you know, I knew that old auditorium so well that yeah. I used to run around it anyway without a cane. So yeah. it was no big deal. So, so they had a central set of steps set up. So you just climb up the steps, three of them, as I recall. And at the top was the principal, Sister Louise, waiting with the diploma. So she would hand you the diploma in your left hand, shake hands with your right hand, and then you'd do an about face, walk down the three steps, and back to your seat. Also, I had a friend sitting next to me who said, Jackie, when I was right by the right where I was supposed to turn in. Yeah. So That's at, what everybody used to call me when I was a kid. At that point, counting steps was a good thing, wasn't it? It worked yeah. out for you. Yeah. Also, the, the um, angle of the floor, Phil. You know how the auditoriums are tilted? Yeah. The way they're set up? Sure. I could 
it was a good way to tell where you were by that, too. Well, and you were a lot more physically fit back then. Your hearing was a lot better. You, oh, yeah. you could. Uh, I never used a cane until I got grown. I mean, I, we went everywhere without without a cane. Of course, I did. I, I fell some, and and uh, you ran into some things. But I went. I could. Uh, man, I could. I could walk down a line of cars and tell you which one was mine because it had a trailer tied to it, and I, they were real close together, and I could tell you which was ours. Cause oh it, yeah, I've done that with my mom's uh, station wagon in a parking lot as long. As long as I knew which aisle it was, hers would sit a bit higher than the sedan. And you could hear that. And you could hear it, yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's that, that little echo system. I want to do. I want to do whole shows sometime and discuss that particular phase of being totally blind because it's an amazing little thing that that we can do. But let's. We're running short of time. Not not a lot, but a little bit. Let's get you out of out of high school. In did you do college? Did you decide to go to yes, college? Yes, I went one year. But I decided I'd rather be a full-time musician than do anything else. So I left school, and I went into New York City to try to get a job as a full-time piano player with a traveling band. Now, you play not strictly by ear. I assume you can read Braille music if you have to. I don't and can't and never have. And never have. So you, you hear it, you play it. That's it. I learn by rote. You yep. hear it, you play it. If it's no matter what it is, you play. It. If I if I was in your club and I said, uh, "Do you know a hot toddy?" You could play that, right? Or if I said, "All of me," you'd be able to yes, play that. Certainly, yeah. you'd be able to play that. Yeah. Right. Uh, almost any song someone names. If it's a song that you've heard, you can play it, right? That's right. I would have, might have had to learn some of them, the more difficult ones, like Here's That Rainy Day with yeah. all those chord changes or something. But I will learn a song by playing parts of it over and over again until I get it right. And I, I, I play with the recording. I have a piano set up down here on a digital, and I play along with the music until I know that I've gotten it right. Then I learn the words. But you learned at an early age what most of us learn eventually in our musical lives, that they're all kind of basically alike. What, as far as the tunes are concerned? As as far as the changes. I mean, it's only going to go one of four or five places. Well, I play light jazz, and in my case, uh, that is not necessarily true. I think people (laughs) write songs just to make them complicated. Um, uh, Johnny uh, Mercer was notorious for that. He'd write tunes just to make them tough, because that way they would be recognized as uniquely his. Yeah. So there were guys like that. I love blues and and uh, rhythm and blues tunes because they hit you not from the complexity of the music but from what they're saying to you yeah and that is important to me that's well, and, what i love to play and and they are very much if you know where one is you're you know you can you can progress from there you can figure I out i agree you, yes. can, you know kind of where, well, some of us learned that later. I didn't learn that till I was grown. I guess maybe you learned that as a child. So you, if you hear it, you can play it, usually. Usually. And it, how long has it been like this? Most of your life? Yes, I've been playing professionally for 41 years. Let's see, is that my phone? I believe that's my phone ringing. I'll just absolutely ignore it. For ignore 40, it. You've been, been playing professionally for 41 years, but you're, did you tell me you're 50... 
57. Fifty-seven. Um, fifty-eight. I just turned fifty-eight that's about right. a week ago. You had a birthday last week, didn't you? you know, yes, you were that's not, right. You were out celebrating your birthday, and uh, so forty-one years. So you started shortly after you when you got to New York. Well, tell us about the New York City experience. You went there to oh, find that a job. Was weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got. I went for an audition with a group called the Country Brothers, which was a country-western group. Yeah. And there were about 70 of us there. And I was about, ooh, 26th or 27th in line. And they just wanted me to play a simple riff and try to follow what they were doing. Well, I sat down, and I loved what they were doing. So I sat down, and I started playing. And the boys said, now, y'all go home. We don't need no more. We found what we need. And really? the rest of them left because and after that, he hired me. After they heard you, they, they moved along. Now, what were they playing? Do you remember what kind of tunes they were? Yes. Um, there was um, a Bob Wills tune ah, that yes. they did. And they also did a Patsy Cline mm-hmm. called After Midnight. I go out walking. What was it? You remember the Bob Wills tune? You know, yeah, it was... Um, Oh, Lord, I think Patsy did it, too, but in a different tempo. Faded Love. Yeah. yeah, Faded, yeah. faded Love is what yeah. it was. And so they, they had found the piano player they wanted when they heard you. Yeah, it was. I was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> i got to tell you. Well, it's, I'm glad you like that stuff. That's my music, that old, old country. That's my favorite. I, I love that stuff. Uh, but you can feel it. You know, if it grabs you down somewhere around your, your breastbone and it gets inside there and you get that warm feeling like, oh, this is it, and you start playing like you feel it, people can tell. I told my wife, if I ever get sick and am in a coma... Go get my album that has the Lone Star rag on it and play that for me. And I guarantee you, I'll wake up. Because it's something about that song or those kinds of songs, Tater Pie, uh, Faded Love, San Antonio Rose, those old Bob Wills tunes, and even Spade Cooley, and even you know, even uh, uh, Tex Williams, and, and uh, who was the guy that had Slowpoke? You keep me up. Uh, Pee Wee King. It, that kind of music just does something for me that no other kind of music does. I don't know what it is. The, the way the songs go, even if you don't know them, after you hear them once or twice, you get the feel of where they're going to go, just like you were saying a couple minutes ago. Yeah. And then you start playing them. And if you feel good about them, I started doing some little riffs in the right hand, yeah. uh-huh. and the leader was like, oh, Lord, here we go. And, and, but you... <laughs> and it was fun. I had lots of fun. Didn't make any money at all. After the radio, after the road tour, I came back with a hundred. Sixty-three bucks in my pocket. Oh, these brothers, these what they call the country, country brothers, right. country brothers, and they took you on a road tour. Yeah, that was John's first road trip. Yeah. Wow. Where did you? What? Where did you go? What Let's see. Oh, we went to Maine and Massachusetts. Then uh, we went into New Jersey, into Pennsylvania, into Ohio. Then we went down, and I was in places like Clearview, Oregon, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this little place in Texas. I can't remember. Hang on a second. Uh, we used to call it Waco. Or Waco, Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas, yeah. yeah. And we were in a, a county fair there with a bunch of other yeah. country musicians. Yeah. We were in New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah, and that was that was a story. I don't know how much time you got left. But, but 160 bucks when you got home, you had 160 bucks. That's all. But that's because 
the man kept taking out, I don't know if you've ever been on the road, but you know what I mean. They yeah. find fees that they charge you for, for like the room or, well, yeah. we're going to take out a little bit for this and a little bit for that. By the time he was done, I was eating well. I was dressed well. All my clothes were clean. But you didn't have any money. And I had no money left, yeah. no. All right. uh-uh. Now, at some point in time, you made the decision not to play full-time and to get yourself a... We, a I wanted to talk about what happened to you in the 50s, but we're almost out of time. But you decided that you'd get a, a day job at some point in time because yes, you work I one did. now. Tell me about 1993, that. In right. I had to make that decision because there wasn't enough club work left. I was getting older and music... You know, some parts of music, at least, are a young man's job. Yes. So I was getting to be up there in my 40s, and I had to make a decision. So I went back to school, and I learned how to use computer systems, and I went to work full-time for Federal Express. Okay, what do you do for FedEx? I work in the customer service department. Now I'm in international, which means I help people figure out what regulations they need to comply with when they send a package over to another country. I talk to them about customs. I talk to them about proper packaging. I help them find a missing package. I help them fax the paperwork that they need to get ready for the shipment. Or I run one down that gets lost in the system. I help them price things. Um, I do all kinds of anything related with shipping overseas is what I do. I have a computer system that uses JAWS, uh-huh. and I work inside the FedEx office in Pennsylvania, right only about three miles from where I live. Uh-huh. And that's what I do. Uh, it's got a Windows-based system called Reflections, which uh, makes it possible for you to communicate with the mainframe. They have a huge, huge computer somewhere. Sure. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> And so you can send a message to London to tell them, all right, this is the correct address for a package. Or you send a message over to Moscow saying, okay, guys, knock it off. This particular package does not need that piece of paperwork. Okay. You know, or something like that. And then you show them the regulation. I mean, because some of these guys, the customs people, have an attitude that because they have control, they think they can tell you what to do, whether it's right or wrong. Bureaucrats. You know. got it. Sometimes they're right, and you have to go along, and sometimes people make mistakes. We all do. But basically, that's what I do. I try to keep people out of trouble with the customs department. And you also play on weekends now. Sure do. So tonight you'll be in the club from 5.30 to 9 or what tonight? 7 to 11. 7 to 11. And you'll be sitting there uh, and people will be requesting. Actually, you're kind of background music basically, right? Actually, in the beginning when they're seating people, it's Williams Party of 16. Your table is now available. And then later on, the people from dinner come back. Then it gets to be my fun time. Then and the requests start pouring in. Then you get and then to entertain get people them. singing and having a good time. Yep. Some nights, uh, when you least expect it, I'm going to be there. I got. I got to do it. On. I, I got to do it. I did the same thing for for three and a half years. I got out of a job when I was mid forties, and I went and played in a restaurant. And at times it was great fun. At times I hated it. At times I thought, well, geez, I did this when I was twenty five years old. What the hell am I doing back here? But at times on Saturday nights or Friday nights when the crowd was good and people were into what I was doing, it was the most fun you can possibly have.
You got time for a quick funny it'll, story, it'll or are we out of time? It'll, it'll, John, I'm out of time. I hate are to you? tell you that. I, I, well, go, go ahead. Very, very quickly. Okay. We were booked into a bar in Jersey City, New Jersey. We knew we were in trouble when we walked to the front of the stage, and there was chicken wire from floor oh. to ceiling. When we started playing, we were playing jazz, and they started throwing bottles and ashtrays at us because it was a rock and roll club. Why would they book you there? Why would they? Why would they do? You know, agents. What yes, can I, I tell know you? I know agents. Listen, you you have been a wonderful guest, and we could talk another hour. I guess we want to, couldn't we? It's been fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yes, I'd love to sit down somewhere yeah. with you and just rap for about a half a day. <laughs> well, tell Linda that we'll be we'll see her about four o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, on good. our on our little thing, John. I don't know when this will air, but I'll call you before it does, sir. And um, uh, I appreciate you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Phil. Goodbye.